This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, Nathan here. Um, A quick disclaimer because I know Rich will be mad at me if I don't put this disclaimer on. That his audio is not as he wanted it to be. I'm not sure what happened. Um in terms of something wasn't connected. But look, it is fine. It's a very enjoyable podcast. Um, But a very quick disclaimer that we'll be back to normal next week with tip-top sound quality. So I hope you enjoy it. Up the dragons, up the robins, whatever you want to say. And uh, let's get on with the show. Hi, sir. Hello. Welcome to the latest episode of Rob Ryan Red, the Wrexham podcast brought to you in association with Red 10 People Development. Now, we are known as Triple R, but this week it's been all about the W's, Wrexham's first win against Walsall. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Wimbledon's most wanted, Nathan Salt. How are you doing, mate? I'm, wow, I mean, yeah, well, you're going to grill me on that, no doubt. Yeah, I'm fine, actually. A lot of nice messages this week. Um People actually don't hate everything I say, which is good. Um, so very appreciative of anyone who was coming to my defense on... Uh, it was funny because I was actually on a late shift when it was all blowing up and kicking off. And, uh, Do you want to bring the listeners who don't know what right. you're on about up to speed, Ben? I mean, you've got permission to talk about Wrexham on this podcast, so uh, be my guest. <laughs> yeah, so I was obviously I live near Wimbledon now, so I agreed that I would go on a Wimbledon podcast show, live show before the game. Um, in the stand adjacent to the away stand, and they said, "Look, we'll get you on there, and we'll um, and we'll take you to the away end." Had a couple of personal things going on during the day, which I don't really need to get into. So I was very stressed out, and I explained to them, "Look, I'm having a bit of a problem, um, but I'm still going to honour my word. I'm still going to go." And I made it, made it onto the show. They asked me five or six questions about Wrexham, key players, score prediction, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think I said three one, and I tipped Ryan Barnett to have a really good game, which obviously he didn't end up doing but I mean it was hardly the most uh, outlandish take in the world 
And anyway, shook hands and and walked down to the away end, and and all was well. I thought um, until the next day, I uh, a friend of the podcast sent me a message and said, "Is this this guy talking about you? I'm confused." And he mentioned about how some Wrexham fans have been, you know, basically arrogant, and that it was the only show in town and the Wrexham show, and they're not the same team they were when they were in the non-league days with Wimbledon, and. You know, there was an indirect reference to me saying that there were, you know an arrogant basically called me arrogant, whatever you want to call it. And um, normally, I let a lot of stuff go, Rich. I mean, I'm I'm fine. You can say what you want, really. You can call out my takes, or um, you know, you can disagree with what I say. I just don't really like it when anyone questions my character or my integrity. And so I responded and said how unfair I thought it was and um, out of pocket it was, out of line. And, uh, yeah, there was just a wave of people that went for this Wimbledon guy then. And, um, yeah, he has since privately apologized. Um, so I've drawn a line under it, but yeah, I didn't think I'd be Wimbledon's most wanted after uh, a one or draw at Plough Lane. How was the day other than, other than that then? How was the actual match for you? I was at a wedding on Saturday, so I only saw the scores come through. I watched the highlights, I think, like a lot of Wrexham fans. But what did you make of, of that performance? Do you think that's going to be sort of a reflection of where we're at at the moment? It's still not in a position maybe to blitz teams away from home. It's, I know it's been sort of a continuous theme, hasn't it? That away from home, obviously, we're not the same side, which is understandable. Very few teams are. But were you, were you happy with the point come full-time? Or do you feel we could have could have got more? Do you feel we could even have, no, have got I, nothing? I, I don't think we could have got more. Um, I was I was okay with the point in the end. It reminded me of Yeovil um, when I went there with James last season, and I was I was more angry with that display because I just thought we kind of effort wise gave up. I know it was really hot that day, and similar parallels really. We've said it you know in the last couple of weeks, the parallels to last season in terms of you know one win, one draw, one defeat in the first three games, and we've sort of done that in reverse order this time. Last season it was win, lose, draw. This season it's lose, draw, win. Um, Does that mean we'll get the reverse number of points as well? If they're uh, 111, we'll get 111 points this season? I was going to say, can we end it with minus 111 if that's the reverse? Um, massive, the world's biggest point deduction. Uh, Wimbledon, he, he just didn't... It was a strange one. Parky, in fairness to him, if we're giving him credit, he did change the tactics. We've said how, you know for, for months and uh, well over a year now how set he is on the three-five-two. I was saying, wasn't I, to try and play two players off um, off Palmer. In the end, he went with the two I wanted, Davis and Lee, in the final moments when I think Wrexham looked threatening. Davis and Lee playing off Dolby. I would have liked to have seen that with Palmer because I have to say that Palmer barely got a kick. He, the service he had was, I'd say it was scraps, but that that would be that would be saying there's too much on his plate. I mean, he had absolutely nothing to work with. Um, Wimbledon were a better side than I thought. I have to say they won again the other night, uh, the, the other day, Colchester. Um, they are a better team than I thought. They missed the penalty, which I thought they would miss. That's two penalties missed now by the same guy. And then they scored the second one. It was a, just a weird old game, Rich, because, you know, Dolby scores that one at the end that's kind of flashed to him. I think it was a harder chance than it appeared in real time. Anthony Ford blazes over near the end. Luke Young has one saved. We finished with a flurry, and yet. I, I think a draw was was fair. I think there were too many players playing below their level. It was a rare off day for Tom O'Connor. You don't say that very often. Andy Cannon, again, I think disappointed. No surprise to see him not, not in the starting 11, not even come on um, against Walsall. So 
midfield. I'm not sure he knows the combination. We'll get onto that later in terms of what we think and, and maybe what going forward with that. But Wimbledon was a funny old game. I mean, the highlight was the post-match curry uh, more so than the match, actually. That what was, do you go uh, for? We, How spicy are you? There was a, well, I think, what did I get? I, there was five of us, so we shared a few. Rai shared a few naan. Um, I got a chicken tikka masala. Is that really basic? Chicken madras? It's, it's, it's very sort of Brit abroad, isn't it? But I, I don't mind it. I mean, it's all right. I mean, there's, I think... Um, well, people so across the country now and the world, if you listen to the podcast, not to blow out and jump too much, will be great. We'll be craving curry right now. It, uh, I mean, post match, I mean, that is, we did want to go to a Thai restaurant and then we got there and it was probably the size of a six yard box. And so a table for five was immediately a no. It was one of the smallest restaurants I've ever seen. If you've ever been to Conway and you've seen the small red house, is that the, is that the smallest house in the world or smallest house in Wales or something? Um, I should know that. That's really poor from me. Um, it was sort of like that, but a Thai restaurant. No joy there, and then we just went for a curry. So that was a highlight. Um, it was a w- rich. I don't think I was too despondent, but I don't think I was too happy. Smallest house in Great Britain. There you go, smallest house in Great Britain. Now I came out of Wimbledon, and there were a few people that said they thought it was a good result, good performance. Um, I don't know. I think come the end of the season, Wimbledon away in a point there might not look a bad result. I just don't think it was. I don't think it was a great performance. It got to be. I've got higher ambitions for what I think that group, this group, can do, and it and it far exceeds what I think we saw at Plough Lane. Yeah, I, th- I think again with that one, it's just uh, just maybe another reflection of that that poor preseason really that we didn't quite get the minutes and the preparation we needed for the season. I still think we're going through the gears across those first few games, and I agree with you, Nate, that the point was always going to be a good point if we then won on Tuesday night, and we'll move on to Walsall then. I was there at the Kairas. Fantastic to, to watch Wrexham win. I thought we were good value for it. Still worried about the defence. We looked very porous and we, we could have conceded three or four again on Tuesday night, which which does concern me. Uh, we mentioned the midfield makeup isn't quite right. I think the defence as well, just something's not clicking. We need Aaron Hayden back, basically. I'm not convinced on Owen O'Connell at the moment. I think he just needs a rest, a little game or two out, out of the team, really. But I thought it was a, a good game. We... We deserved to win. Second half, we were scintillating. We could have scored five or six ourselves. I think Ollie Palmer was absolutely robbed of my other match, to be honest. I think it was the perfect response from him. He was just so selfless, dogged. His pressing was incredible. The goal was brilliant. He could have had more. He was he was exceptional, I thought. I thought it was Ollie Palmer. It was very, very best. But there's a man you want to talk about. There's a man I think everyone wants to talk about at the moment. Luke Young, captain's armband, back of the team. But it's not just a token gesture. Right now, he deserves to be starting games for Exxon, doesn't he? My only concern is, what is the midfield makeup long term? Because last season, Young and Jones in midfield wasn't good enough in non-league. It was good enough on Tuesday night in League Two. Maybe if Tom O'Connor comes back in, one of those drops out. But Luke Young and James Jones, to me, still feels like that rivalry where it's one or the other, not both. Long term. I mean, look, if, if that's the case, if it's one or the other, then I think by a country, not by a country mile, that's harsh, but by some distance, I think there is distance between James Jones and Luke Young right now in terms of effectiveness, in terms of what are you doing to win the game? How are you impacting those around you? Now, I don't think I'm doing a disservice here to say on paper, technically, as a, as a footballer, Andy Cannon, I would say, is a technically better footballer than Luke Young. But Andy Cannon is not contributing to winning like Luke Young is contributing to winning right now. Tom O'Connor 
is technically a better midfielder than anybody else in that group, you know, aside from your, uh, Elliot Lee and Jordan Davis, who are in that more advanced role. And yet he was ineffective against Wimbledon. I don't think deserved to keep his place. I think you've got, you've got to be real with it. I was surprised he was dropped. You've got to be real. On Luke Young, the best set-piece taker in the league, I'm not in the league, in the team, sorry. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself now. I'm drunk on uh, Luke Young enthusiasm. In the team, he is the best deliverer of a set-piece. Corners, free kicks, um, crossed into the box. I don't think there's anyone as good as him in the team. You saw that for the first goal with Will Boyle. It's an unbelievable delivery. It's a great header, but it's an unbelievable delivery. I just think he gives you that bite in midfield. He's not a he's not quite there's a Jay that, Harris. There's that two-footed challenge, not quite two-footed, but there's that challenge where Walsall player sort of hesitated on the ball. Luke Young slides in from, from behind, but just only gets the ball. And it is that sort of, he's got the dog in him. You know, he's got that energy. He's got the tenacity. For me, though, I think it's not about having your best midfield. It's about having your best midfield for your opposition. So I think in games where you're not going to, there's not an onus on you to control possession, Luke Young is, he's priceless. If you if the other team has good midfielders who are good on the ball, which Walsall did have, I think it lets Luke, Luke Young shine because he's so good at winning the ball back, being a pest. He's good at distributing the ball as well. But like you said, Andy Cannon and Tom O'Connor, they they cherish possession. They really have better passing ranges. They help you control the game. But I think in certain games, I think Tuesday night was one of the perfect ones. Luke Young, and we saw Coventry away last season. You know, he just relished the chance to to try win the ball back, to annoy his opposition, just to to feed on that passion, to feed off the home crowd. And I agree with you that in certain situations, I think Luke Young, you know, is priceless to, to the team. I just don't think every single week his skill set is maybe there's not room for it from the start. I I I really I have to disagree though. Like, I really think that he is the the manager and the leader. And you you always hear players. I was listening to a chat with Sean Pearson the other day, and he was saying how you know Luke Young is not the most vocal guy. We know that anyway, but he just leads by example. Is a leader of men, and I think. Parkinson said to him recently in a meeting that he is in his plans and he has got a view to to keeping him. And clearly we've seen that in, in recent weeks. You look at Luke Young into the final year of his contract. He doesn't want to go anywhere. So he's playing not a chip. It's not a chip on his shoulder, but he's playing with a with a point contract to, to win. We're well, yeah, point to prove a contract to win. You know, other players are getting extended and you know, you're the you're the captain, you're wearing the armband. You want to get extended. Your family's settled here. You want to keep playing for this football club. You've been through a lot with this football club. You've been there when before the takeover. You've been there, kind of in the in the, in the dog days, basically. And and you've come through and lifted that trophy and got us out of the league. And you want to sort of imprint yourself on onto League Two. I think there's a lot of midfielders in that group at the minute. And you know, so I've seen people say they want another midfielder. I think it's so overcrowded and oversaturated in terms of the amount of bodies they've already got in there that there's too many players in that midfield right now that are not hitting their potential, not hitting their level of capability. I'm looking at Andy Cannon. I think Tom O'Connor is still warming up to the season. Um, I know he played left centre-back in that first game. Wimbledon was an off game for him. You know, on the bench came on for, what was it, three or four minutes last night before the 90. Um, I think he's still got, you know, levels to get back up to where he was. And again, maybe that's the pre-season, I don't know. But for me right now, there's two midfielders bang at it. Well, there were three, really, because I thought Davis was looking good just before he got injured. And I would have loved to have known 
who would have dropped out because Parkey said that had Jordan Davis been fit, and we'll get onto injuries later, but had he been fit, he would have started. So I do wonder whether he'd have gone with maybe Lee and Davis off Palmer again. I wonder if he'd have gone with that new system or whether he would have stuck um, with Bickerstaff and Palmer. Um, but but I think right now Luke Young is by far and away the the best performing kind of deeper midfielder and Elliot Lee as well. I think those two are the ones that have really hit the ground running coming into the season. I think that's important that you said there on terms of the system as well. I think that it's not about trying to replace Paul Mullin. It's about trying to adapt to a different style of play, really, because I think that's what did Billy Waters such a disservice against MK Dons, is it was the same system, but instead of Mullin, you had Billy Waters. And, you know, there's going to be a drop-off. You know, that just that, that is just the way it's going to be. You know, it's Paul Mullin. You can't expect someone else to come in and just do what he does because there is no one like him in these lower leagues at all. He's such a unique talent of what he does for work rate and his finishing and the type of goals he scores. So I think that that's something Rectum seems to have learned is that it's not about replacing Mullen. It's about adapting while he's not, not available. And well, I was going to say, just before we maybe move on to strikers, the midfield, there's a lot of debate. I mean, it's one of them where you've got so many options. Therefore, you're going to have infinite possibilities that people will throw up on. They want James Jones, Tom O'Connor, Elliot Lee. Maybe we don't focus so much on Elliot Lee because he is the star of the show right now and he is going to play every week. What What is the makeup of the midfield, you think, longer term? And I'm talking longer term being maybe the next, in a month's time, say, where you think that's got to be the settled. Because we can't keep this chopping and changing, I don't think, if we're to be consistent you know, for months and months and months. And I get what you're saying about changing to the opposition and course, but I think what do you think is going to be that settled or what do you think should be that settled first choice pivot two or or the kind of the other two that go with Elliot Lee? I think it's got, for me, regardless of form, it's got to have Tom O'Connor in there. I think he is just so unique in what he does, the way he anchors the team. He makes it better going forward. He makes it better defensively. He makes it better out of possession He's he reads the game really well. He's he's just brilliant to have. You feel a lot safer with him in the team, I think. And he's brilliant. I, so I love Tom O'Connor. So for me, he's in there. For me, and, and this would be controversial. I think this would be everyone else's third choice. I'd probably go James Jones. Right. Just because I think the level of performance out of him, it isn't super high, but I think it is very consistent of what you get. And I think. The key to finding the momentum of Erecton being to become unstoppable again is about having that level of expectation and performance of the same level every single week. And there's a reason Phil Parkinson loves James Jones is because he knows what he's going to get. And yes, it works the opposite way, but you also know what you're not going to get. The, the passing's going to drop off a bit. He's not always going to be making the same runs as someone else. He sometimes lacks the, the positional awareness of, of someone like O'Connor. I do just think you want someone who's missed a consistent at times in midfield. And for me, I think James Jones has been that since he joined Wrexham. He's, he's not flashy. He's not a flair player. He might not have the bite that Luke Young has. He might not score the wonder goals that Luke Young has. But I do think that his overall level performance is just slightly higher on a more regular basis. I know you, if anyone can see the video of this, I'm not sure if it's going to get clipped up, but you're fuming. I know your team Luke Young. <laughs> I I'm not fuming, am I? Um, I I disagree with it. I, I look, James Jones has got many plus points. I'm not necessarily sure his output is always as consistent as it could be. 
I mean, that goes for all that goes for all the players. That's why they're in League Two. I do. I, I mean, I'm going to be I'm going to be honest here, Rich. I, I am unsure. I can't sit here and say say and look at you down the video feed with a straight face and say I know for sure that Tom O'Connor and Luke Young can coexist in the same football team because they both like playing that deeper of the three. It seems like it's not really a a ten really with Elliot Lee. It's not like a ten band the strikers. It's it's one and the, it's like a number six and two eights. You know, it's kind of a sitting midfielder and then you know two eight to either side. Whether that's um, James Jones is often played off the right or Elliot Lee likes playing down the left because he's got that good connection with Mendy. So you, you couldn't really imagine a I couldn't really imagine a Luke Young or a Tom O'Connor wanting to. I mean, I'm sure they'd sure they'd do the job if they needed to, but both prefer being that six. And James Jones, maybe Andy Cannon, um, Jordan Davis are more comfortable in that kind of eight role. I, I would be interested to see if they did go with a double pivot just to give us a bit more control. Because I think what we've lacked in all these games, you have to say Walsall were dreadful out of possession, but I thought in possession they were pretty good and looked like they could hurt Wrexham with some ease. I think we didn't have a great deal of control in midfield. I thought Hutchinson for them... He was getting pelters from their fans, but I thought he had time and time and time and time again. He was on the ball. He had acres of space, really, to to get the ball down, move it around. I thought Falk's right wing back for them was also very good. I, I do wonder whether the double pivot, Lee in front, you've got Mullen that's distracting the defenders, more onus placed onto the wing backs. I do wonder whether a double pivot of Young and O'Connor, I would like to see that. I would like to see what that looks like in terms of just shoring us up a bit, especially given defensively. We conceded the most goals in the league of any team so far. I think it is. I think we've scored the most and conceded yeah. the most. And Is that eight? In I think it's eight games? and eight. I think it's eight and eight. So, you know, clearly we're not we're not as solid as we need to be. And whether that's a new body coming in between now and the, the September 1st deadline, I'm not necessarily sure I'd go and get another midfielder. Um, or whether that's going with what we've got. I would like to see that double pivot. I think if you do do that, it's young and Tom O'Connor. Tom O'Connor's a great passer of the ball. Young gives you a little bit of bite and you can leave your, your, your little dancer, Elliot Lee, in front to kind of um, work his magic. And what I will say on Young, Rich, we've got to give him his props because when he came on against Wimbledon for those last 13, 14 minutes, whatever it was, with added time, he became the 40th post-war Wrexham player to achieve the feat of making 200 league appearances for the club. And he's the first player since fellow midfielder Jay Harris reached the mark in January 2021. So credit to Luke Young, 200 league appearances is um, is a hell of an achievement at any football club. And I know he loves the football club and and just wants to to play as much as possible. So 200 league appearances, yeah, I'll I'll give him his flowers. I'll I'll give him a little round of applause because that's uh, some achievement. Yeah, fantastic. Neil Ashton, yeah, Neil Ashton in there who people really loved yesteryear. Mark Carrington. Uh, Andy Morell, he's in there, so esteemed company. Yeah, brilliant. And again, like you said, I think on young for me is that it's the fact that we've had all this money to buy whoever whoever we want, but he's remained, and that's a testament to him, his attitude. Last season, when he was out of the team, he could easily this summer said, "That's it, I'm off. I want a new challenge." He could easily have done that. I'm I'm underappreciated. I think he's a big benefit of the new substitution rules that we get in the football league. The fact there is the option to have him on the bench every single week now. I think that has to be the case, really. Like you said, I think particularly at the moment with the injury situation, it, it makes so much more sense.
Nate, should we get on to the injuries while we're talking about them then? Uh, just a little summary, really, of, of where we're up to, because it does seem, you'd say, a bit concerning, but they're all very different injuries, so you can't really read too much into it about ill preparation. I think it's just a lot of unfortunate timing of, of them all, really. I suppose we want to start maybe with a positive angle. It is that Paul Mullen certainly looks to be ahead of schedule, could be back playing sort of before October, maybe late September, early October, which is better than the what we first feared, really. Um, of course, it, it depends. Wrexham don't want to rush him back. We want to make sure we have the, the best Paul Mullen and we don't jeopardise his recovery or the chance of him, you know, having another, another... I know it's a very freak sort of accident anyway, but you don't want to put him at any risk of being susceptible to further injuries anyway. So only once he gets the absolute all clear should he be on that football pitch for Wrexham. But that's good news that Paul Mullen should hopefully be back earlier than expected. Still going to miss you know, a whole chunk of matches, but hopefully not as many as we first feared. Layton injured. John Tunnicliffe injured. Aaron Hayden injured. James McLean, early indications or the rumour certainly suggesting he could be out for, for around a month. Jordan Davis, maybe a month and a half or so. It is just so annoying, but I suppose on the flip side, Nath, if someone's going to get injured, get injured when the transfer window's open. Yes and no, really, because you, you've you got to think it like this. You've still got to get that 22-man squad registered. We're already at 23, so someone's got to go. Someone is not going to make the registration. I mean, at the minute, Callum McFadden's not made the matchday squad in any of the three league games. Um, Aaron Hayden will obviously definitely make the squad, uh, but is injured. Jake Bickstaff will you know, get onto the strikers. Is he going to go out on loan? We don't know. But you're saying, well, I don't know, you've rattled off a few there. We know Mullins coming back. We don't know on Lainson. We know Davis has been really unlucky. He made a strong start. It isn't a case you can just go out and sign players. Where are they all going to fit? You know, it's already crowded. You've already got a lot of players to keep happy. We praised Parkinson last season. We're doing that. It's It's on the players that are there now that are available to step up. You know, fully fit. I think people were looking at the start of the season saying, Luke Young, is he going to play? And look at him, he stepped up. You know, the onus is now on, you know, if anything happens to anyone else, I I don't say it, but Ollie Palmer has stepped up. Jake Bickerstaff has stepped up. Um, Will Boyle has stepped up, you know, in a big way. Max, when he played in in the Wigan game, stepped up. That's what you need now as a manager. Anthony Ford, I think, has stepped up a level. I mean, he's pushed Ryan Barnett out of the team, so credit to him. But Rich, I did want to say, just going through some of those names you said there, Paul Mullen. I mean, did you see his column this week? I thought an incredible read, really. I'm just going to read a little bit. If you haven't read it, you can find it on The Athletic, Paul Mullen's column. Um, Here's a little snippet of what he said about his injury. He put, uh, this is exactly, so he's just collided with Nathan Bishop. We've obviously gone over that in previous podcasts, the actual injury, but he's collided with Nathan Bishop. And this is what he said about that injury. He put, in that struggle for breath with my lips turning blue, I accepted that this could be it for me. That's that's genuinely how it felt. I couldn't breathe properly for a few minutes. Now, footballers get a lot of stick for staying down, Rich, but you know, quite clearly a very. I mean, you said it there yourself. Don't rush him back if he's not one hundred percent fit. But quite clearly a very serious and scary injury that you don't see all that often. You know, you don't really see punctured lungs, and I know you can get cracked ribs, but I mean, this is a player that wears his heart in a sleeve. Will go for everything. Will put his head in where it hurts, and yet genuinely was fearful that. He, he might have just been too brave. Yeah, it's just an absolute... It really puts everything into perspective, doesn't it, really? That, you know, it, people say, oh, it's only pre-season. And I bet, I bet when he went down, some people were saying, I'll oh, get up. Do you know what I mean? It's, you know, you can clatter, get up. 
and they'll use the the outdated rhetoric of man up or you know get on with it you know it's a physical game that's all just not true and absolute bollocks in it but for him to to say that it really does put into perspective how how gruesome an injury it was and I think that one thing that Phil Parkinson and the medical team certainly seem to do well is that they they don't seem to rush people back they do seem to be well on top and they and only let players play once they get the absolute all clear. So, yeah, obviously our thoughts and and all of every Wrexham fans go to Paul Muller and his family, and it must have been a really difficult time as well. And also for him sort of mentally to to sort of feel not trapped in America, but, you know, everyone else has gone back home, the season started, he's had to watch it all unfold from a laptop screen. He's not been able to to be there and to, to have his moment. You know, he's got his mural now, he's got his book on the way. That seems, like a, that's, that's, that, that seems like a film, Paul Mullen trapped in America. That seems it like does, it's got yeah. That seems like it's got the potential of a sequel and maybe a third, a trilogy. Um, Paul Mullen trapped in America. And I suppose the other point on all this is for all of that, for all that excitement, none of that comes close to your health. And, right. you know, I've been there with his family and that's what matters so much to him, you know. Let's not forget that, yes, Wrexham are a special club and he's learned to love us even more since he's been here. But one of the, the key reasons we got him in the first place is because he wanted to be close to his family. So, you know, just because he's a footballer doesn't mean, you know, he is super Paul Mullin, but he's not superhuman. He is still just an ordinary, ordinary family man with extraterrestrial football talent. But it must still have been really hard for him being so far away from, you know, his young family, having to sort of communicate just over social media and over video calls and stuff. Yeah. And I'm just really glad that he's now back, back home in Wrexham. You know, he can he can see that mural for himself yeah. and he'll be itching. He, 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 he cannot wait to, to score that first football league goal again in the Wrexham shirt. And well, uh, he deserves he was, it. He was there, wasn't he, in the stand watching the Walsall game. I feel as though talking about family, I feel for Jordan Davis so much because we saw him the other week carrying on his baby, baby Harlow onto the pitch with the ear defenders on. Um, I know how much that meant to him and him and his family and you know his his partner Kelsey and that that obviously was a massive moment for him. Everyone knows what happened in season one of the documentary, and uh, you know for him to be able to walk out um, with Harlow on the pitch, I know just meant a huge deal to him and and, and also I, for I, him to remind everyone how bloody good at football. Yeah, is. right, right, right. The ultimate and ultimately he's he's, he's shone, you know. And um, I last think, season, just I think lots of people like his stock dwindled because he was sidelined, but. People took for granted that this guy, he's a football league player. He's got unique skill set again. Probably second to Luke Young for set-piece delivery. I know he likes getting on the end of corners himself, but his free kicks are a menace, aren't they? And yeah, right. Yeah, it's just but, a real know, shame that, yeah, for that him, he's been set back again now. A, 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 a torn, I mean, I'm led to believe it's a torn tendon. You'd hope it's on the lesser end of that month. I mean, again, I'm not a medical expert. You'd hope it's maybe four weeks rather than the six. It's just again, it's one of them where you're just starting to build up a little momentum, and bang, you know, you're injured again. And and again, James McLean watching his debut, Rich, in a weird kind of box midfield. There was a piece on RobRyanRed.com about that um, friend of the pod Alex wrote about the box midfield and maybe how that could work. And it did look a bit like a two and a two. McLean was kind of in this right-sided role, which didn't suit him. And then when he got onto the left, when Mendy went off. He looked a lot more at it, a lot more comfortable on that side of the pitch and in that position. And again, impact injury for him. Looked like on Instagram he had his knee in a brace of some kind. So maybe it was just impact injury, a bit of swelling, a bruise, and maybe that's a couple of weeks again. 
um, for him. But again, I know we've not seen much of him then, but is that where you reckon James McLean's best position is left? It's so tough, isn't it? Because I don't want to drop Mendy. I thought Mendy was superb, I thought, against Warsaw. I thought he was really direct, grew into the game. But I don't I don't get where McLean fits if it isn't left wing back. I don't think he is this kind of second striker. I don't think he's one of the three midfielders, really. I don't think he's that comfortable that central in the pitch. Unless you're going to play inverted and play him on the right, I can't see it. I think it is a straight shootout between Mendy and McLean for that left wing back spot. And hey, the level right now with Mendy's bringing, I mean, that's not going to be as straightforward a fight as people think it may be. No, bring it on, I suppose. That's the challenge that we want. And that's the the welcome selection headache for for Barky to to try and solve himself. Another selection headache then for for Rector Nath. The striking situation, Paul Mullin. Potentially back, like we said, October maybe. Just before that, again, to caveat, Wrexham won't rush him. He'll be he'll be ready when he's ready. Not to take any risks at all. In the meantime, then Wrexham's striking conundrum. We've seen Palmer, we've seen Dolby, we've seen Waters, we've seen Bickerstaff, we've also seen Elliot Lee play up top. There's a plethora of options for Wrexham. What do you make of it at the moment? Particularly Jake Bickerstaff scores his first league goal for Wrexham. On Tuesday night against Walsall, we've heard in the past people say he's arguably the best finisher at the club, even better than Super Paul Mullin. I saw him last season against Altrincham in the FA Trophy. He scored two well-taken goals there. He looked really up for it. Didn't go on the pre-season tour. Felt like he was definitely going to go on loan. But right now, he's scoring goals in the Wrexham first team. What do you do? I mean, I I still loan him out. I would I would loan him as soon not soon. I, I would loan him the minute Paul Mullen is fit to play. I really would, and I get why people are saying don't do that. And there's two schools of thought, Rich. You've got that. I mean, you were following him on tour. You've got that Man City school of thought where Pep Guardiola sort of doesn't really want to loan players out. I mean, look at um, Phil Foden. You know, Man City didn't loan him out. Worked with him internally. Kept him around better players. And then he developed into a superstar caliber starting level player. Could do that with Bickerstaff. You could use him sparingly. Maybe he becomes that Dolby type where you get 20, half an hour. Then maybe you push him for a start with Mullen. Maybe you push him for a start with Palmer. You don't know how injuries are going to play out. I just think if you're being realistic, the best the best development for Jake Bickerstaff is to go is to drop a level, score a bag full of goals. And start every single week and start and get 80, 85, 90 in the tank. I just don't think you're going to get that consistently. I think the Carabao Cup journey is probably not going to last too much longer if you're being realistic. The, well, I mean, what's the caliber of competition in the in the kind of uh, checker trade, whatever that is now, Papa John's um, trophy? I mean, not, not, not amazing, you'd have to say. It's, I mean, that's not going to be really a, a measuring stick. And then you've got the league and the FA Cup. I mean, the FA Cup is a lottery. You don't know who you're going to get in, in round one. That might be the end of it. You may end up getting to the final. You don't know. Um, I I still think, I know he scored. It's a good finish. It's a good ball in. He turns well and, and finishes. I, I just watched that game. His hold up, as I said the other week, is nice. I think he, he's working well with Palmer. He's growing with Palmer. I just think he's lacking a bag of tricks that he can learn, that I don't think he'll learn playing back up to Paul Mullin. But I think he will learn being the main man at Solihull, Altrincham, Rochdale, Oldham, wherever he goes. And, and I and I, I personally do believe the club are shopping him for loan. 
I think he's that 23rd man that they're shopping. And I think his performances now, while fans are saying, maybe we keep him, maybe it's best to keep him. I think the club are thinking this can help us land him a better loan. That's what I yeah. think they're, they're thinking. Yeah, it's such a tough one because he's obviously a very talented player. Like I said, he's he's super finisher. Still maybe just lacking. I think last night you could see he just maybe was lacking that little bit of confidence of I've not scored a league goal before. Like, you know, obviously he gets one by the end of the game and what a moment that was for him. He deserves that and he deserves his moment in the spotlight. But like you said, I think he's at such a crucial age now where he's stuck around. He's, you know, he's, he's been here before. He's had loan moves before as well. I think at this age, he just needs to be playing every single week, getting a chance, like you said, getting some more goals, learning how to adapt to style of play against people who are playing for their mortgages. You know, people who are veterans of the game, who are intelligent, who know all the dirty tricks, put them up against boring wood or something. Do you know what I mean? Give them those, those footballing educations that, like you said, I just don't think you'll get at Wrexham. And also... He'll he'll have difficult situations if he sticks around because we all know when Muller's back he starts, and that means that Bickerstaff is only similar to Dolby last season. Actually, Bickerstaff's only opportunities then will either be in games that are won where Wrexham are two or three up and he's coming on. Whatever he does is inconsequential. He's playing against defenses who are already demoralised. Anything he does has a caveat next to it, or he's coming on in games where Wrexham are in desperate need of a goal and the expectations going to be super high. And it's going to be even more pressure on him to actually deliver. So I just don't think that sticking around for him will be for his best benefit. And maybe not for the club's best benefit as well. It is a tricky one. You know, if if Mullen was, you know, only injured to the end of this month, then I think Bickerstaff might have already gone out on loan, to be honest. I think they would have been like, we can get we can get there to the end and then, and then we see. But it is the fact that, you know, the squad registration, there'll still be this crossover where perhaps you're without Bickerstaff and without Mullin. And do you just want that insurance policy? Do you want that extra man? Like you said, it's difficult for the makeup of the squad altogether, but he, he's obviously a talented player. But for me, I think he, I think in an ideal world, he goes out on loan. He wasn't on the prison tour squad, like we said. You know, The indication was he's going to go out on loan. He wasn't meant to be getting his chance, but now he's taken it. And that's how football works. And yeah... I I thought one. I thought you were going to disagree with me, so I thought we were going to have this like big heated debate on whether Bickerstaff should stay or go. So to play maybe devil's advocate, I mean I've, I've I think he should go out on loan just for full transparency. I would send him out on loan regardless of if he scores in the next few games. Um, that's just my opinion. But there are others, Rich, that think maybe keep Bickerstaff, use him in that Sam Dolby role, and look, Sam Dolby ended up starting ahead of Ollie Palmer. Form was that consistent in the end post older shot. Do you loan out Sam Dolby? Do you loan out a Billy Waters? Do you move on from one of them two? Now, I'm not writing them off. I'm saying that, look, if you really want to keep Bickerstaff, somebody has to go there. Somebody, I, I get you on a lot of strikers, but there's going to be very, very few minutes to go around when Mullin comes back. Yeah. You don't know well, how I suppose, out. Yeah, I suppose yeah. if you did your sort of striker power rankings, even now, Mullen's top. I know he's not right. available, but he's still top. Then for me, it goes Palmer. I'd Dolby and then it's Bickerstaff and Waters and for me it is Bickerstaff who's fourth at the moment and Waters is fifth I think Waters was really lively and you know could have got a goal against Warsaw it was it was just that he's lacking confidence and he's lacking that sort of match sharpness Mullen scores those chances I think he gets against Warsaw Billy Waters doesn't 
And again, Billy Waters, what does he need right now? To sign a player so late into last season and get rid of him already seems harsh on very, everyone involved. Yeah. He's on a very long-term contract at the club, so quite difficult maybe to move on anyway. He's been sold this, this dream of, of his involvement going forward. I know for his own sake, you might say, well, just leave. Go, go somewhere else where you've got to play football and be appreciated properly. But he could also be like, well, no, I've got a contract here. You can't just force me out. And it's, it's, Rich, it's more of a system thing there. You know what I mean? Like Maybe that first game is sticking out and we shouldn't be writing off Billy Waters after one game. He could have scored last night. We just said, what a brilliant game you know what a, yeah. what a brilliant what a brilliant goal sorry a uh, little cameo he'd have had there it, it's just I, I did think that that little and large partnership maybe him and Palmer or him and Dolby would have borne more fruit you know I, I but I don't think these long balls that we still try and contend with these long diagonals I think that I brings us then, full circle mate basically yeah, to not say working that for him. when he's on the pitch you've got to adapt to his to the way he plays and to I know it's easy to say, well, he's a Wrexham player. He should learn to play the way we play. But you've got two, you've got a team doing something different to his his playing style. And there's an element that we bought him last season because, you know, we want someone with a future proof and have going through the leagues. But there's also an element of, well, he was available, wasn't he? And we have to do what we could do to get him in and have an insurance policy to ensure we, we did get promoted. Like I said, he, he didn't get a sniff really in, in last season. He got the game against Torquay. Hardly saw him in pre-season. And I suppose the worry for Wrexham is, yes, you've got Waters, who yeah, he could he could still be a brilliant player for us. But it's the fact that we're, we've started the season now, we've still got that question mark. And that even with Mullen injured, Waters isn't getting his chance properly mm. or isn't getting no. that. So, I mean, look, you, I mean, you're looking at it like this as well. I mean, I don't know if this has already been out there or people know this. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. You know, Wrexham were looking at, were strongly interested and we're looking at making a move for Bolton's Dion Charles. Now, whether that's, you know, whether that would have ever come to pass, it looks like, from my understanding, it looks like he's off to Watford in the championship. So you can see where Dion, Dion Charles's head is at and whether he'd have dropped to League Two, I don't know. Um, but there was interest there from Wrexham. I was told that there was nothing in the whole Shamanga um, situation at Peterborough. I know he's frustrated at not getting game time again, left on the bench the other night um, for Peterborough. Don't think he's getting anywhere near the minutes he wants, and you know, a bit of agent jockey in there. But I mean, last I heard, and this is definitely going to come back to bite me when Wrexham sign Killian Mbappe or someone tomorrow. Um, but I, I've been told that Wrexham have cooled a little bit now on on strikers. You know, with Mullin coming back in a couple of weeks, they said. I mean, one one agent told me that they reckon it could be as early as three weeks. I think that's a tad optimistic, but you know, that's that's the talk in those kind of circles, and yeah. Well, I spoke to, like as I spoke to someone in recruitment at the start of summer, and they told me basically as soon as Foster's done, Wrexham wanted a left centre back, Will Boyle, a left wing back, James McLean, and then they were looking at another central midfielder and, and another striker. So you know maybe they have cooled on on both of those. Maybe like you said, the dilemma is how do you fit them in and who gets cut loose at the other end? It's, it's so difficult to when you've got a squad this talented. It means someone very talented themselves misses out, and yeah, it's just such a such a difficult Rich, sort of jigsaw. So, Rich, on before we kind of wrap up the striker debate, let's just say we get to the end of the window, and they move on. I don't know. They, let's just say they move on Callum McFadden for all intents and purposes, and that gets us down to twenty-two. We've got two left wing backs there. You've got Bryce as well, who can obviously play either side. 
um, so kind of gives you a third man at the right or a third man on the left, and Liam McAlinden as well is in there. Um, that you're actually 22. You're going to keep Bickerstaff. You, you've decided we're going to keep him. We're going to have all five strikers there. You're making five subs a game. You probably have two strikers on a bench every game. So one of the three that aren't involved is not making the matchday squad. How confident are you in that five? Uh, you know, does that do we have all the components? Are we lacking a certain type? Or, or when Mullen comes in, does that just paper over any potential little cracks? I do think that when Mullen comes back a lot of our problems will be gone. I think he'll just give everyone a lift and make us so much better. But to be honest, I, I think it sort of boils down to what do you expect from Wrexham this season. Personally, for me as a fan, I, I'm not going to be too dis- despondent if we don't go up. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm happy for this to be a bridge season. One of us just establishing ourselves and seeing and going again properly next season. I'm, I'm very happy for that. But if you genuinely have ambitions of, not just getting promoted, but winning the league this season. If that is your aim right now, still as a Wrexham fan, we want to win this league. I think you need another League One or Championship calibre striker in there. Yeah, well, I was going to say, we've both predicted them to go up automatically. So uh, let's not change our predictions yet. I I was thinking before, what we'll do is, when we get to that midway point in the season, maybe we'll go back to our predictions pre-season. We'll maybe give ourselves a chance if if we want to shuffle them around. And then we'll see where we are. So we've got the the preseason one. Go and check them out if you haven't already on YouTube. Uh, Rob Brown Red on YouTube, or let us know your predictions. Rob Brown Red on Instagram, Twitter. Rob Brown Red Pod on TikTok. Lots of different things. Um, but yes, Rich, I don't know. I I I'm I I, I was convinced that they were going to go and get another striker. I know there've been bids on the table. I don't know whether one of those bids was for Dion Charles. I I can't say for sure. I just know there was interest there. Um. We'll see. I mean, we're going to get to a point where maybe our pod will be out around deadline day, on deadline day. I don't know what it'll be. I need to look at the calendar, but there's got to be at least one signing coming in between now, surely. I can't see them sticking. Was it last week that Parky was saying there were bids on the table for a couple of players? That was pre-Wimbledon. So yeah, yeah, wait and see. And and knowing our luck, there'll be a signing made before this is even even aired. So great. (laughs) Look forward to another emergency pod by the end of the week. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with muck delivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Week. Um, but Nate, I suppose we've got a chance now just for a couple of emails maybe. Do you want to read one or two out while we've we've got this opportunity? We will be previewing the Swindon game as well in the latest stages of the podcast. We've got a special guest there who hasn't actually had a go at Nate yet, so that's a that's boding well. 
Yeah, well, that, that, give it a few days. Give it a few days. Um, here is a message then we had from David who said, Hi, both. Um, I've posted the following on Red Passion following the latest missive from the club. I would like you to raise this issue on the podcast. I feel very strongly about this. And if you, um, you know, and, and I would basically, if you want me to talk about it, I will. So here we go. This is what we're going to talk about. So David is very passionate about the bag search and the food and drink policy, which which I know, again, something you've been keen to talk about on the podcast for a couple of weeks, but for rhyme or reason, it just hasn't managed to make its way into the running order. But this is what David said. So he's posted the uh, bag searching policy and he but I've attended matches since the mid 70s and I've always brought in a flask or food. Now for the 2023-24 season, this is prohibited. I ask why this change other than to force supporters to buy their overpriced refreshments at kiosks in the ground, whereas adults can probably cope without half-time tea, etc. This will present a serious additional cost to parents bringing children who would want something at matches. This new prohibition is a further step away from the community first message that the co-owners profess to supporters especially given the increased cost of living uh, is such an issue. I'll be writing to the club and I strongly suggest other supporters affected by this do likewise. I'll give you the floor then first, Rich. Um, I've seen things on social media about people who have been stopped taking taking food and drink in that they normally would have done. I don't know if you've seen that around you or, or kind of what you think about a, a stricter enforcement on a rule that was probably there in non-league but maybe wasn't as enforced yeah, as it, as it well, is now. That's why I saw a message online. Someone said, well, sort of questioned it and was told, this is just a new league. This is the league policy and this is what we're implementing. But anecdotally, I've been to lots of football league and Premier League matches and I've seen people take a, a whole lot of stuff in. So, you know, it's it does seem like Wrexham are really nailing it down, maybe harder some other teams have, have done. I think that there's got to be certain exceptions i know for for example in one of the group chats i'm in it was raised sort of again hypothetically maybe it's actually anecdotally i think it actually happened um someone had dietary requirements and the food that was alternatively available in the stadium wasn't sufficient enough and for me i think the biggest issue ultimately in all this is that it wouldn't be such a problem if the food and drink offered inside the stadium was one nice enough and good enough and had enough, enough variety that people would actually want to eat it and B, if the service was good enough that you could ever get served. I, I know that the club will no doubt hit back and say, well, we've got unprecedented demand and it's really difficult to keep up with, with how many fans are coming every week. But the takeover has been, what, two and a half years now? And it's not improved at all. I know that for a stage of the pre-poured pints in the tech end and the Jonesy's bar itself was revamped. But still, on a match day, good luck if you want to get served. You've got to you've got to choose to miss the match. You either have to get into Tekken so early that it's pointless. It's just you and the, the the ball boys basically, or you've got to go down. I say at half time, you've got to leave about thirty five minutes, miss ten minutes of football just to get a pie and a beer that you've then got to have in the concourse anyway. And you know, I just think that ultimately, if the food and drink offerings in the stadium were better and more accessible. And we've seen it. We've, we've all, maybe not all of us listening, but most of us listening will have been to other grounds and other stadiums that do it much better. And, you know, anecdotally sort of myself in work, I'm always around Premier League stadiums and they don't seem to have too much problem sort of serving fans as much as Wrexham do, particularly for, for how, you know, the fact is the attendance of Wrexham is capped. We know how many fans we want to get every week. 
it's not saying, oh, it would be difficult to gauge how many people would go for it. You know how many fans are in the stadium every single week because we sell out. And I just think that the food and drink offerings and the service in particular is, is really poor and still needs to be looked at by the club because it's, it's just not good enough. And I just have no interest anymore in going to the stadium other than five minutes before it kicks off. I'd rather be at the My Squid because I can get posh kebab, I can get a good pint for a real good price. And, you know, what, what's on offer inside the, the Kairos just doesn't compare with it at all. Yeah, Rich, I echo a lot of those thoughts. I mean, look, from a service point of view, and I've worked in, as you know, I've worked on bars, I've worked in restaurants, I've done all that. There's got to be a willingness and a, an, in, an enjoyment sort of in doing the job. You can't absolutely hate it. And just from from my experience, I mean, the, the laissez-faire nature of some of the people serving there look like they'd rather be anywhere else. I get it's not. I get dealing with football fans is not super super fun, especially when they're rowdy and irate. But it, it reflects in the work. I mean, some of the pints poured that I've been sent on, we've been sent on DM are just, a, I mean, a, you know, a flake away from a ninety nine. I mean, they're, they're they're not anywhere near good enough. Wimbledon at the weekend was was very very good. I mean, they weren't the quickest in the world but they were giving you pints there was a lot of food variety options just outside the away end I thought that was you know the Wrexham have got a lot of work to do and what I would say is why not just use the fan advisory group why not why not use this as an opportunity to consult local vendors to consult fans and say right it's the same people largely you've got cap 7,000 season ticket holders it's largely the same faces you could sort of begin to forecast what people are buying every single week or what people would buy maybe this is what we're proposing as a match day menu. What do you think? People might say that's a little bit extreme. Don't need that. We just want good pies, maybe some chips, maybe some, you know, tea, coffee. We look at like, gonna, you look at like the posh kebabs. Yeah. I, I sound like I work for the Mice Gwyn at this rate. I, honestly, I don't. But like, the food that they offer is just what you want on a match day. It's a really nice high-end product, which, you know, not to get into sort of business point of view, it must be, it's, it's easy and quick for them to sort of play up and, and get people take having them you know it's not as if you've got to spend loads of time serving up um re- you can sell it for a reasonable price and yeah it's it's, it's brilliant and oh, Rich, I, I, I'd, I'd love it if Rexton were the club you know in the football league, like non-league we all talk about the sort of Kidderminster or we speak about other clubs we've been to I would love it if Rexton were known as god the kings of footy scram the, the team where mm. god I'd love to go to Rexton look at the food they do look how good Rexton is for food <laughs> I remember, I remember Laws, so you know well, Manchester Reds made it onto Footy Scran um, and then got told off because it was actually my squin food that was outside. So um, he broke the rules of Footy Scran, I'm afraid, Laws. So if you're listening, you did break the rules, but you did make it on there. Um, but no, look at it. You've got Wayne Jones at the turf on your doorstep. You know, one of the busiest pubs going now in town. Learn how to just get, get dare I say, I bet, I bet if you asked him, I bet if you asked him one day of the week and say, look, we're going to get all our staff in. And this maybe sounds super pedantic, but I bet he'd show them just how to pour a pint quickly and effectively. And I'm sure he'd be willing to do it. He's that kind of guy that I'm sure he'd be like, if I can help in any way, I will. And you get people I guess the you're only, paying for a day yeah. of training. I, I, you know, I get then, what you say. I think the only only thing on the sort of pints and stuff is, I'm guessing it's sort of zero-hour contracts, students who need a few right, quid, really. But, so I think it probably is just quite difficult in in that regard for them to... You, you can't necessarily necess- right. You can't necessarily, but I'm saying just say just just go with me on on the idea that yeah. you've got him on your doorstep that could give you that 
insight. You've got Rich Watkin across the road at Mice Gwyn. I mean, this is definitely pro mode for the Mice Gwyn at this point. Um, that, that could just give you that. How? What food can we offer that's better? You run the fat ball. That's a, you know, do a big success. What kind of ways can we do it that is effective, cost effective, um, efficient? You know, because what they're offering right now, and even just before the takeover, the food and drink offering at Wrexham has been been subpar for for too long and um and that's why people are staying in the mice queen that's why people are staying in the turf that's why people are staying in um the miners club or the wrexham lager club and all the weather spoons or that's why they're not flooding into the ground and and adding that revenue into the club because why would they there's there's no that's why they go into the plast cork that's why they go into you know the student union i think that's open now that people are going to now the centenary lounge is closed so Club a, club needs to look at that, and I think if the fan advisory group are going to have, I know they don't have a great deal of influence. I know they're just there as a sounding board more than a kind of ratification, you know, final say on things. But that's what that's what you want to consult fans over, right? The fan experience yeah. and and food and drink is for some people a massive part of it. Swindon and knife next up. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, how do you feel about that one? I feel more nervous for that one. I feel like Swindon are a better team than Walsall, and I don't. I don't actually think Walsall were that bad. I, know, I mean, it's a potential. No, I'm, two st- I'm still very, line, yeah. I'm still very much in that state, stage of season where I'm still sort of just so. Is, there is about ten or fifteen teams in the league who I just do not know what to expect from that whatsoever. If I've, if I've learned anything, I think there's, and maybe people will disagree with this. I, I think last year there were a couple of there were a couple of freebies. There were a couple yeah. of games where I think you'd really have to have dropped the ball massively to to have thrown that one away. You know, you made stones at home, kind of. Uh, I mean, to be honest, anyone at home last season. But I think there were a lot of games, not a lot, there were a handful of games last season that were gimmies. There's absolutely not one freebie in this league. Um, you know, you look at it, Newport going smash Doncaster, and the next minute they're smashed by Crew. Swindon will be boyhood. I mean, look, they they went and scored what was it like a ninety six minute winner against Forest Green away. Put a bit of a derby for them. Um, I think it was their centre back who got the winner there. So Swindon will be in good spirits. They're a game behind us. I mean, Mike Flynn, I'm sure will cop a lot of flack. Ex Newport boss, obviously played against Wrexham in that playoff final. There'll be no love lost there. Um, but we don't know enough about Swindon, do we? Apart from. Uh, Mike Flynn and, and Charlie Austin up front. So I thought I'd get the view of Joe, as we always do on these things, on these podcasts, opposition fan fan views. So Joe from the Loathe Strangers podcast, a great Swindon podcast, if you're looking for one. Um, they've done nearly 600 episodes, been going since about 2016. So, I mean, they are setting the standard for the rest of us. So the Loathe Strangers podcast, this is Joe. And here is what he had to tell me about Swindon and their start to the season. <laughs> Right, Wrexham off the mark on Tuesday against Walsall. Big 4-2 win. And as we do every week, get an opposition fan on to tee up the next game. Joe from the Loathe Strangers podcast. Now, I have kind of pushed these guys before. I've known a few of them from trips to Swindon. Last time I was at Swindon, it was a game against Mansfield. Uh, Owen Doyle, I think, was up front. Richie Wellens was uh, in the dugout for Swindon. Was he then? Yes, I think he was. Um, But Joe is from the Loathe Strangers podcast. Joe, thanks for coming on. Am I Nathan? How are we doing? Yeah, I'm good. Talk to me about Swindon. Talk to me about last minute winner Tuesday. How's the season been going? 
Oh, well, that was an absolute delight. Well, we're a game behind everybody else so far because, strangely, our first game against Colchester it got called off. I think it's the first opening day game in the EFL to be called off for weather reasons. So us and Colchester are a game behind. We're hoping to meet our old manager, Ben Garner, and uh, an ex-player or two as well. But that's been pushed back. So our first game was the Peterborough game um, in the midweek where we managed to take them to a draw, and they're, you know, they're kind of team that's always flirting with playoffs and promotion in League One, so it was a respectable result. Um, then had the home game against Crew, which we looked like we were going to have a comfortable win, and then seemed to always capitulate a bit. And last night away to Forest Green, uh, a late rocket, a cannonball as the League Two um, official. Twitter feed described from Fraser Blake Tracy took away all three points. So always nice to go there to uh, another team that's kind of grown through the ranks and we probably remember them being non-league but uh, are now EFL mainstays and, and local rivals, derby rivals these days. Right, the vegan neighbours as people would call them uh, in Swindon, I'm sure. Um, okay, talk to me before they've got to get into systems and players and all that, but the manager is somebody that Wrexham fans will not be the most fond of. Obviously been at Newport, who we are not super, super affectionate of. He's been at Walsall as well. It's kind of been a bit of a, a rough few years, really, for, for Mike Flynn. How's he been received at Swindon? How's he getting on? Well, full disclosure, you know, my, my family are all South Walian people and a lot of them are Newport fans. And I imagine many of the listeners won't like that he was playing, of course, in that that playoff game uh, where they managed to to go. I, up I a, should have vetted know. you better, Joe. That yeah, I, I really should have. I should have gone through all these contributors, these enthusiastic contributors on this load of strangers, and got someone who wasn't going to bring up Mike Flynn in the playoff final. But yes, he was. Um, but but how's he been received? Because like I said, it's been a tough few years for him. Is he found a home at Swindon? Do you think? I think so. Because yeah, it has been. It's been strange. It got to that point, didn't it, with Newport and. I'm sure many, many of your listeners and yourself, you follow any of the uh, the kind of Welsh media forums or things like that. There seemed to be this idea that he was perennially going to be offered Cardiff job or that he was going to get something in the championship. And I don't know if that kind of got to his head because, like I said, I give the context to my family being Newport fans. This is obviously somebody that has been talked about quite a lot and they certainly had the feeling that he'd go on to bigger and better things. That must have translated to to himself because I think that the latter stage of that that Newport era seemed to kind of peter out rather than you know be a uh, a wonderful farewell. And then when the the job that came knocking was Warsaw, that it's just a, a slightly higher League Two um, club, that probably took the wind out of his sails. But we've we had for a couple of years, we were going for a director of football model in the first year and a head coach role. And then we tried to keep that going where we had a, <laughs> basically like a PR man who used to work for Wigan, who was looking at some data model and doing recruitment, but not an experienced player. I know that managers are quite resistant to directors of football anyway, but having someone with little experience of the game must have been uh, a challenge. And so this year, it's almost like we've tried to go to basics and get, you know, a reliable manager for this this division. So it it suits Flynn 
and Swindon well uh, to be in this kind of almost last chance saloon and and make it work. So I think he does seem somewhat humbled in a way, uh, but maybe that he can see that Swindon is perhaps this is our bias and there's like a, a sleeping giant this division. It may be somewhere to to make his mark. What what, what the fans thinking about it? Because I know when I went there, as I said, for that Mansfield game a, a few years ago now, there was a great connection with Richie Wellens. Just his natural charisma, his natural personality allows that, I think. Flynn, I'm... I mean, I don't know. I don't know what his kind of character is like, but has he been able to connect with the fans this early or is he a bit more of a... Is there still a bit more of a distance between coach and fans? I think that distance is is closing um, a bit. I think that Wellings and Flynn are actually quite similar. I'd said that before he came in the door in terms of that they're both they're both quite straight talkers with the media. They don't sugarcoat things and they say things um, exactly as they as they see it. Not always to the benefit of chairman or for local media or for things like that, but for fans, you know, we we appreciate that that kind of honesty. He'd made the point of coming out onto the pitch at halftime when his appointment was there because we had uh, Jody Morris beforehand, who on paper seemed to be like the perfect fit for this this head coach model of we wanted somebody who had academy experience, we wanted. Uh, you know, somebody upstairs to direct transfers. And Obviously, ex-Chelsea, right? Jody Morris linked yeah. with, with Chelsea and, and Frank Lampard, so big name. Exactly, and that, that seemed to be the kind of ideal candidate that they went for. But from, you know, looking at getting a playoff place to completely falling away, it was just not a good fit. And I don't know whether Jody Morris was thinking, you know, that this is League Two and it should be a, a cakewalk because I've worked at an elite club or whatever it was, but it was... It was real oil and water stuff, and it was quite acrimonious at the end. So I think people are happy to have somebody who's got experience in, um, says things as he sees them, and is a is a, a proper old school manager who's responsible for recruitment as well. So, so, so talking of recruitment, I mean, I'm looking at it now, and I've got to be very very honest here. There's a lot of young players on this list. Free transfers, loans, you know, moves for under twenty, Bournemouth under twenty one on this list, QPR under twenty one, Burnley under twenty one. You know, some of the names here: Jake Young from Bradford, Dan Kemp, um, Brooklyn Genesini, is it? Uh, Liam Kinsella is maybe a bit more of a known one from Walsall. Uh, Tariq Owakwe, is it from Crew? Not not names that jump off the page. Is is this the kind of Swindon looking to? buy low, sell high? Is that really the kind of financial model Swindon are in right now? Well, that was was what we were told. It was a strange season last season because certain sections of the the hierarchy almost would want to push the P word and say that we're going for it. We want to challenge for promotion. We want to go straight up. And yet this this character, uh, Sandro Di Michele, his name was, uh, was the PR man in charge of recruitment who was purporting a sell, you know, a buy, like you say, buy low, sell high model. We're getting a few players in from Liverpool Academy. So we had Tom Clayton and uh, Jake Kane later in the season who came through that way. Uh, we had a player called Marcel Lavinia who, according to him, had tore up his contract at Tottenham to try his luck at League Two and go for these, you know, always like sellable assets that if they had a good season, sell them on and make profit. Lots of talk about teams like Brentford or Peterborough and how they managed to climb through the leagues while 
selling key assets, but it didn't really translate into um, anything like that. We had a bit of a Hail Mary in terms of getting Charlie Austin through the door in January. He'd gone to Australia, and I think for personal reasons, it didn't really work out. Uh, got an older family and is thinking, like, wants to be closer to home, which I think we could probably all understand. Uh, but since then, you know, there's talk about being competitive in this budget and uh, being competitive in this league. And I would argue that this year's League 2 is very different to last year's present company included that there's a bit more money uh spinning about and that i don't think we necessarily expect that we should break the bank but i always feel like you can't have it two ways either you know you're really going to go for it and get names in um or you should be a bit more honest and say that it's hard to compete we get a lot of spin from flit about tail agents fees have gone up and I think it's been to their benefit that the recruitment at other clubs has not been, like you said, has not been that many knock your socks off signings until you guys got the claim through the door or moves like that. There's not been huge movements. So it has seemed quite consistent with the whole story. Um, but yeah, it is a bit thin on the ground is the main concern. It's more than happy to get players like Liam Kinsella in. And Dan Kemp has been... Uh, an excellent addition. I don't know why MK Dons have let him go for another loan, but we'll keep that under our hat. We'll keep that a secret between us. Well, uh, look, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at this squad. Liam Kinsella, there, 27 years old. I mean, there's one player over the age of 27. You've already mentioned him, Charlie Austin. A hell of a character. For anyone who, who doesn't know him, he, he's never short of a quote or two. He has no issue winding up opposition fans. He obviously went to Australia, thought that was going to be a new start for him. It wasn't, as he said, personal reasons with his family, wanted to come back. I last saw him when he was playing for QPR when I was reporting on them. What's he been like at Swindon? Has he, has he still got it? Is he, is he still effective at this level, do you think? I think that, I think this coming off the back of last night when he's, he's missed a few chances, which is rare for him. I would say he still has it uh, because I think that this man could be, you know, in his 70s and still finish like he can. He's just one of these people who's got that natural uh, goal-scoring instinct. In terms of being effective, the problem is in terms of, you know, when we talk about systems and how we set up, he's definitely over the second half of last year, he's playing almost isolated with maybe two wider forwards. So playing like 4-3-3 with... Uh, quick attackers, people like Jacob Wakeling or Rushan Hepler Murphy on either side of him and not really necessarily had the service to to be too critical of him. He has shown the thing, of course, that we get with experience is he has shown that, that leadership for younger players but I guess the difficulty as well is as club captain and as that, as that leader um, and as somebody that you want in the box at all times, you can't be all over the pitch being supportive um, all the time. So I have think, thought that maybe in the main he's been isolated, but I don't think that's necessarily a Charlie Austin problem. That might be that we're not set up to uh, play to his strength. And, and we're looking at the system coming in. I mean, it seems like you guys go with this 3 5 2, 3 4. One, two, however you want to break it up. It's a back three, it looks like. It looks like you've got three centre-backs, Brewitt, um, 
Godwin, who is it? Godwin, help me out here. Blake Tracy. Godwin Malife. Godwin Malife. And then you've got the kind of two sitting in front of that, Liam Kinsella and George McEachran. I kind of just wanted to focus on him because the midfield has been an area where lots of debate at Wrexham on, you know, how do they get control of the midfield? Didn't have it against MK Dons. Had it in spells against Walsall, maybe not in others. Um, and didn't really have it at Wimbledon. So I think there's, there's tweaks to be made there. George McEachran's got decent pedigree in terms of his youth academy, come through Chelsea's academy, you know, was somebody really highly rated. He's now in the rough and tumble League Two. What have you made of that Kinsella McEachran partnership in front of the back three? That's still a kind of burgeoning thing. I mean, the getting control of the midfield will probably be a bit of a treat for Swindon because the, the centre backs get quite forward. I mean, yesterday's winner is from Fraser Blake Tracy anyway. So that, that pairing and underlapping, we had uh, Godwin Relife get his. Um, get his goal and you might have seen him singing on the internet as well went viral for his uh his initiation song even john legend have picked up on that one you can't let me not let your fans know about mr john legend playing uh our new center back um some props but i mean Kinsella's only made i think it been his like second full appearance because he'd started on the bench for the peterborough game and getting that midfield fit is difficult because we've already had injuries. We've already rotated people out. So we've got um, Saidu Khan in that midfield and Dan Kemp is in that midfield. Um, I'd say in terms of quality, we've got it there. But even from watching last night, it's by no means you know a perfect game and there's still mistakes going. There's still that lack of familiarity. And I think some of that has come through that we didn't actually really have most of these players for pre-season and it feels a bit like we're doing pre-season now so it may be an opportune time you know to play us while we're inexperienced if you're having trouble controlling the midfield because you know, we're still actually finding our feet and finding those partnerships and look you know for us man of the match the other night was Elliot Lee potentially could end up you know being one of the players of the year in the whole division he's got that kind of level of caliber that quality it looks like it's going to be the, the onus is going to be on Dan Kemp for you to play off the two up front you said you surprised Milton Keynes let him go I mean they didn't seem to be missing him when they played us in that first game what is his quality give us a little bit of an insight into Dan Kemp as a player because he might not be somebody that our listeners know a lot about uh, well, you, think you saw from last season, people in League Two would have uh, seen him a big part of that that surge for uh, Hartlepool and trying to stay up. So, you know, somebody, for want of uh, using like a cliche, somebody who knows where the goal is, but just somebody who can actually drive the ball forward and make opportunities happen. We seem to have worked on those set plays as well, and he seems a, a key part of that. But it's just surprising. It's surprising to get loans, you know, within uh, the same league anyway. And because of that reputation he came in from uh, on the back of last season, and I think from some of his performances in pre-season with them, it seems like a lot of their fan base is surprised that he's gone out on loan as well. Like you say, he might not seem to be missed, but we're feeling that now squads are only so deep Um we don't have the luxury of as many goalies as, say, you guys have and might continue to have. I was listening to your last episode there of wanting to get uh, yet another one. 
But um, we always just want more of the. Th- we just want more and more. Even though there's a squad limit, we just want to keep getting more players. It's fun. It's nice when you can buy players. Well, why not? Why not? Keep it going. Yeah. Why not? Let's talk then about predictions. So we've looked at Dan Kemp. We've looked at all these players. I'm interested to see Charlie Austin at the weekend. But what do you think? How how the game is going to play out? You know, obviously a lot of people know Michael Flynn. No love lost there. Um, Wrexham haven't got Paul Mullins still. I think they scored the most in the league, conceded the most in the league. It, I mean, it doesn't strike me as going to be a nil-nil. I don't know what you think. No, I don't think so. We would have liked to have had Paul back because, of course, he's he's had a, a Swindon spell. And uh, Ben Tozer as well was somebody we got from Plymouth and played about two or three times before going off to Newcastle, but you know we'll take we'll take the links where we find them. <laughs> I think that it it's there's been a lot of interest in in making the trip, a lot of interest, and a lot of people asking about tickets even now. So, as much as you may get cynicism about uh, you know the Wrexham hype train, it, it definitely is there. People are interested off the back of you know the documentary and all things all things that people are looking forward to making the journey nice time of year to do it as well um and like you say if if michael flint's not particularly popular with your fan base it could only be a mutual thing we are better away from home i don't know if that's because you know at home we're playing in front of um quite a quiet crowd and a big crowd and if that just seems a bit nervy or intimidating but our home form over the last couple of seasons has been not brilliant so i would fancy us to give you a go away from home um, but judging on recent form, it'd probably be another quite narrow one. So I'll go for another 2-1 to ourselves. 2-1 to Swindon. Well, we shall see. And look, we returned to Swindon on Boxing Day. Now, this is quite a, a, an oddity for us because we've been in non-league so long that we usually get that regionalised game. It will be a trip to Swindon. Any tips for anyone who's already planning that festive trip down? I mean, it's not going to be super, super sunny, we don't think. You would not imagine on December twenty sixth, but any any Swindon tips for anyone planning that trip? Well, I've not been to a home game yet, and I understand there's a lot more uh, catering options just around and about <laughs> the place uh, at Swindon. Hopefully, hopefully there'll be some uh, some festive cheer to to have, um, and we can all have a Nadolly Clatwood. There you go. Look at you impressing with Welsh on the podcast. Well, all the best for the season. Um, I I don't mean that sincerely for Saturday, but all the best after that. I'm going to be honest, I don't mean that sincerely. Um, And we will see. May the best team win. May the best team win. So, Rich, there you go. I mean, they're going to play three at the back. There's a little bit of uncertainty in terms of partnerships. You know, how are they going to look? How are they going to look at Wrexham? He thinks it could be slightly cagey. Given we've scored eight and conceded eight, I'm not sure cagey would be the word I would go with. No. It's, it's got, just going to be interesting, really. And that's what I've loved, and that's what I love about choosing that as well, is I just haven't got a clue. And people might say I've done a clue most weeks, but this season I really just do not have a clue what to expect. And the fact we're conceding goals does worry me. But I think when you when you, when you you give that sort of billing, surely it's got to be a nil-nil draw, isn't it? I, that, well, I, I said I, there's no way it'll be a nil-nil draw. Just don't think both teams are good enough defensively. I, I'm going to go. I mean, God, I, I predicted a Wrexham win against Wimbledon, and that saw me um, crucified online by the Wimbledon population. So I'm sure that if I say Wrexham will beat Swindon, I'll get um, eviscerated again. I think it could be quite a high-scoring one, Rich. I might go th- Wrexham three, Swindon two. I reckon another five goals. I think still defensively we're figuring it out. I don't think we're. 
And we Not have all there, are we? That, you know, I, don't, I just don't think we are. Um, Will Boyle, just a shout out to him on his home debut, thought proper no nonsense. And I mean, I mean that as a credit to him. He, he doesn't mess about, head it, kick it, knows what he's good at, knows what he isn't good at. Um, I think there's a, a real nice coordination between him and Ben Toza. But I, I still don't think we're, we're quite there defensively. I'm more interested in the team you'd pick more than your score prediction. I mean, give us your prediction, but I mean, I'm more interested in the team you'd be putting out there. I think I'd probably go Wrexham 2, Swindon 2, to be honest. Ooh. That's that's just how I feel about it. I'm not sure I can see us winning the game, but that's, again, not a problem in these early stages of the season. I'd probably even go and change now. Right. I think so I'd probably go and change. You, you wouldn't put Tom O'Connor back in there? The, you know, I probably would do. It's it's difficult that, like I like I said, I think O'Connell needs to come out. I'd like. To, I just think he's been so. He's just looked off it. I think for the first three games, but it's who comes in to replace him, isn't it? Max. Dang. Well, well, Max, well, well. Max clear from for O'Connell. Maybe that'd be my one change. That'd be one change. I. What would I do? I, I'm i tempted to stick as is. I mean, definitely the wing-backs. I mean, a quick shout-out. I think, I mean, statistically, Jacob Mendy's been our best player so far this season. Goal in the first game, assist in both the other two games. So credit to him. Um, don't think you can drop him. And I, I love Ryan Barnett. Oh, Barnett. I, I keep saying Barnett and everyone. Oh, there's one guy absolutely kills me in the comments um, because apparently it is Barnett. I don't think he gets back in. Based on form, Ford was no, I think, quietly very effective. I think you've got to play him. Yeah, I think so. I think Barnett almost like did, did too good last season where we expect him to play every game, but he still, for me, should be used as a super sub or someone to stretch legs or in those games where there is a real onus on those to attack from the off. I think I, I think I, I think I said he could have been a League Two player of the season. I think was that our dark horse shout? Which is, yeah. hey, look, I'm not, give, I'm not giving up on it. I'm just saying that maybe we were getting a little bit carried away. On on his running to the start of the yeah, season, yeah, he might not get into Wrexham's team this season at this rate. But you know, that's no that's no <laughs> that's no criticism of him. It's confident of what else we've got. But yeah, Rich, I'm st- I'm still keeping my Ryan Barnett stock. I'm not selling yet. I'm keeping that. But Anthony Ford got to play. I, I don't I don't hate the Max shout. I, you know, you know my feelings on Max. I really like Max. I think you go on change though. I think I think you go. I think you stick with it. And um, I, th- I think I think I think I think you go with it. And and Tom O'Connor's and Andy Cannon have got to be knocking on that door, banging the door down to get back in. We will see what happens this weekend. We'll be back next week to look back at what did happen. Uh, thank you very much to Nate for joining us on the Rob Brown Red podcast. Thank you very much to Red 10 People Development for sponsoring us. And thank you very much to Rex and Bass Band Hypnotic for their use of the music. But a slightly different outro this week, Nate. You're going to do the honours of the final words. You won't be the one singing though, but yeah, take us away. No, I mean, thankfully, I'm not the one singing. Any any long-time listeners know that I have sung on this podcast before, um, much to the chagrin of, of people that have listened. But we got a lovely message this week from um, Alan at the Rosemail Voice Choir, Rich. Now, you will have heard them on the Welcome to Wrexham trailer, less than a month now before that is out. Uh, and Alan got in touch and put, Hi, Nathan Rich, as an avid follower of your pod, a season to get older and chorister of Rosemail Voice Choir, I thought you might be interested in hearing the choir's rendition of Wrexham is the name recently recorded to celebrate the club's return to the EFL. I hope you agree that it is sung with passion and a commitment which reflects the players, uh, which reflects that of the players over the last two seasons. He's asked if we would give it a little play on the show. 
I said we would, and this is going to play us out. So this is Rose Melvoy's Choir. Wrexham is the name. Thank you very much. We will see you next week to unpack Swindon and hopefully a couple of special guests to help us tee up Barrow. But this is Alan and the rest of the Rose Melvoy's Choir. Wrexham is the name. It's the 90th minute. All your mates are around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.